Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 3, Shova Kavanakudil, Fierce Search, Act 1, recorded June 4, 2016, at Courtney's apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Shoba. Shoba Kavanakudio. You know, my dad used to love Shoba. He really did. He thought Shoba was beautiful. There's this really amazing picture of the two of us on study abroad in London. And I was showing him pictures um, of the whole trip. And he was like, oh, look at you two. And he's like, can I, can I have this? And he took it and he framed it. He loved Shoba. He thought Shoba was the best. When I had the conversation with, with Shoba, it was right after graduation, college graduation. And so she was very inspired. She was also thinking about her own career. And this was an opportunity for her to go back and sort of think about how she got to where she is now. And now she's in a place where she's thinking about where she's going next and, and how is she going to continue to grow. And um, that's something that I am very much interested in is not sort of sitting back on your loyal laurels, but finding ways to keep pushing forward, expanding, growing the idea of finding the edges and knowing that they're never going to be found. I think that's somebody like Shoba. She is mm, somewhat measured, um, more measured than I think she is and maybe more measured than I am even. And I think a lot she is also somebody who will take risks, which is um, always exciting. Um, she's very thoughtful. Well, she's my friend. She's definitely my friend. I admire her very, very much. I'm really happy that she's in my life. She's somebody who has um, has become my emergency contact, <laughs> which is, you know, how it goes when you're living in the, in the big city your family doesn't live here you find somebody who you know will make sure you get home after a procedure that you had to go under anesthesia for and if something goes wrong she's gonna call all the right people and make sure that everybody knows what's going on and what's up and she's gonna make you soup and tea and let you sleep and drool all over her pillows if necessary that's the kind of person Shoba is 
she's got this amazing career, but she's also just, you know, a good person. And it's nice to have somebody like that in your life. I'm really excited for people to hear her, uh, hear her story and hear, you know, what she thinks about the field and what she thinks about the work that we do as teaching artists, as arts administrators, and, and more specifically for her as college professors in, in terms of getting people ready to enter into this field. Um, there'll be several parts that you'll hear. You'll definitely hear us um, or me more specifically being sort of amazed at how closely aligned our experiences were even prior to knowing each other, um, which freaks me out a little bit, but also, um, I don't know, made me, made me think, oh, there's a reason why you came into my life. Um, there's a reason why we're friends, even if I didn't fully understand that uh, as well as I think I do now. And we'll continue to discover different things about her and us as friends um, as years go by. So I'm excited for you all to hear our conversation. So right now you're going to hear just part one this week. And then in subsequent weeks, you'll hear more and more of our kooky time of sitting in my apartment um, and how I kept getting hot, basically. And so we had to stop a few times. And then we finally just started drinking wine. Here's Shoba Kavanakudio, part one. Hi, Shoba. Hi, Courtney. <laughs> how are you? Good. Good. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so I'm excited, actually. I'm, I've been really excited since you and I have been working in this field almost around, starting around the same time, although I think you started being a teaching artist a lot sooner than I did. Um, uh, and our uh, field, what, what, how would you describe our field? In what way? And uh, what is it, what would you say if you were talking to somebody who has no idea what arts education is? What would you tell them? Um, I think it depends on how much energy I have, right? Because <laughs> sometimes it's like you're too tired to talk, to to tell somebody what you do. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just I'm a teacher. Not that there's anything wrong with being a, a teacher, but there's that artist part of you that gets like, you just sometimes I just don't have the energy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but our field is about artists educators really mm-hmm. and what kind of artist are you um I'm an actor but I've been really thinking about like what what that means and I think um as a director and as a person that is part of developing theater I like devising stuff and of course I love musical theater you love musical I theater do. didn't you go to school with um Tom Kitt uh-huh. is it uh-huh. yeah yeah who, and he wrote... We were in Into the Woods together. Yeah. <laughs> I was and, the witch. <clears throat> didn't you tell me a story about the drama teacher? Didn't you go for a reunion? We went. I, we had a reu- a 20-year yeah. reunion when mm-hmm. we... Was it the 20-year reunion or was it like a couple of years ago? Anyway, um, she had a big fundraiser, my theater teacher, before she retired. I, I can't name? remember if they were the same years or like a couple of years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, what was her name in what high school? Um, her name was Joy Barley, Mrs. Barley. And she, uh, I went to Byron Hills High School in Armonk, New York. And um, so I couldn't be there because I taught Monday nights. But um, there are f- quite a few people, alumni of the high school, that are involved with the Broadway community, either as performers or composers. Um, and they did a performance of Next to Normal which Tom was a composer of. But she asked a lot of us that were involved with the 
stage program to send in uh, a video clip. And so I did. Cool. Yeah. And it was nice when I started at City College, like I emailed her because I was looking for textbooks and I didn't realize that she wrote a book. Yeah. So I looked at her book and um, if I continue to teach that class, you know, I was thinking about using it. So we're going to keep going backwards, actually, and then we'll go forwards. Mm-hmm. But I just realized I never actually fully introduced her to you, so I'm going to talk more specifically. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, so Shoba Kavanakudil, mm-hmm. uh, you are a professor at City College in the Educational Theater Department. Um, that is a department of two, is that correct? So we're a program of two, the Educational okay. Theater Program, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how, how many students are there? Uh, right now, I would say there's about 85 students. 85. Yeah. And what, when did the program start at City College? So the program started, um, I believe, in 2008. Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Katona <laughs> um, started the program in 2008, and she brought me in as an adjunct. Or maybe it was 2007. She brought me in as an adjunct in the summer of um, 2008. And then the, I remember this very clearly because I was struggling with wanting to get a full-time job and maybe um, kind of not steer away from teaching artistry, but with all the realities of responsibility, like wondering if I could work as much as I was working, because I was working a lot as a teaching artist, um, looking for a full-time job. And the position posted in 2009, in the fall sometime. Mm -hmm. And I remember that when Jennifer told me it posted that day after I taught I went home and cried the entire ride home to New Jersey because I was convinced I wouldn't get the job because I don't have a PhD Um, I am not a doctor (laughs) so I was kind of mourning the loss of the job Mm -hmm. already because I was adjuncting there and I really enjoyed it um, because the students are just the diversity not just sort of ethnically but also in Um, experience people are in different places in their careers Mm -hmm. and um, it just it made for good classrooms it made for a very collegial setting um, very different than the other the other grad program I was teaching in you know Um, and I think also because I kind of I went to NYU and I sort of grew up there and there was this comfort of it being home too it was just that difference too Mm -hmm. Um, so but then I got the job. It was like three or four months of intense interviews, and um, and I got the job. But every step of the way, I cried. <laughs> so that was eight years ago? That was, um, no, I started in fall 2010. So oh, okay. it was, Six I'll be years. starting, wow. I think, my seventh <clears throat> year in the fall. And I got my CCE last year, which is a lecturer's version of tenure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going anywhere, unless I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to dive into that, but I still want to go back. So, um, I'm really curious about your childhood. Tell me about, tell me more about your childhood. Um, what I really want to know is how, how were the arts present in your life growing up? Yeah. So, um, my family is from India. My parents came here in the sixties, in the late sixties. And I, there weren't a lot of Indian people here. And so the way my father tells the story is um, because there weren't a lot of Indian people here, when you saw somebody from India, it didn't matter what part of India, you just kind of, you know, you talk to them. And you were trying to be American 
really. Mm. So my family never spoke to me in our language. Um, there were no dancing schools. There were no Indian churches. Mm. Moved us to Westchester, you know, for a good um, education. And um, kind of I was, like, always interested in the arts, and uh, my family is full of musicians and singers. Um, but it was always connected to the church, and I'm also the oldest in our family. So mm -hmm. it was just me and my aunties and uncles, right? So um, getting involved with theater was a, it was an investigative process because my parents didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. You know, they only knew what they knew. And um, so I started singing in church. <clears throat> and when I was, um, when I was six, I was actually younger than six because we were still living in Queens. Um, I was asked to be the Virgin Mary in the Christmas pageant. And I was very upset, like crying upset because I didn't understand the story. And I wanted to be an angel like my friends who got shiny things. They had sparkly costumes and I had like old raggedy clothes. Although my parents, my dad actually sewed me a costume. You know, in retrospect, it was actually a very nice dress. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking down the aisle with this five-year-old or like he was a little younger than me like and he was crying the whole time and I just remember thinking this sucks <laughs> and like baby Jesus was like had two eye colors because it was a doll that was like <laughs> from the basement of the church um and then <clears throat> I went to the Bedford Presbyterian Church growing up and I was in the choir and I remember like the first year I started so I might have been like six or seven I got a solo for Christmas Eve and it was like the youth choir was singing and our children's choir was singing and the adults were singing. And then all of a sudden, like, you heard this little voice going, go tell it on the mountain. And I remember thinking in that moment, wow, everyone's listening, you know. So I just became very involved with church and I started singing a lot in church. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got and I did, you know, like choir in middle school, um, you know, and I, I – when I have projects to do, I mean, in retrospect, like I always tried to speak or perform in some way. I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I remember giving a report on Australia because that was the country assigned to me. And I was the Australian prime minister. Like I went dressed up in what I thought a prime minister looked like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I, I um, in high school, I got involved with um, the theater program. And did your parents support all of this? They supported it as a hobby. Mm. Um, so there were a lot of cultural issues. Like I was going from like playing soccer or field hockey to like home to eat and then maybe do some homework and run back to school. That concept of having rehearsal till 10 o'clock at night, it was foreign. My, my father did not understand why they had to – why are you guys at school? This is a lovely hobby. I mean, he was, like, proud of me. My parents were very proud of me. My dad actually used to come to dress rehearsals with um, his leather folder and a legal pad, and he would take notes. <laughs> he didn't know he was taking – like, he didn't know that's what it was. Right. I didn't either, but he – and I would be like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Like, um, <laughs> but – so they supported – me and being good at whatever I wanted, but I don't think there was um, any vision of a future. Hmm. So when and and when I got to be a junior and senior, I got big roles. I mean, I was you know I, I got like leads and stuff. So it was great. It was glamour. You know, it was like parents were complimenting them, yeah. and uh, I went to a very small high school. But I think that 
vision for a future was just not there. Um, so like I remember sitting down with my dad and my guidance counselor and, and then going home and talking to my mother and my dad was like, you are not studying acting. Um, and he, all he kept saying to me was when I first came to this country, um, he's a civil engineer and he was doing work on the equity building and he's like, and I just remember seeing all those actors standing, waiting online to get in. And, you know, of course, when I was 18, I was like, oh, it's never going to happen to me. Um, so it, that, was, that was hard. So what did you end up studying in college? Communications. Still was unemployed when I graduated. <laughs> um, yeah, I studied communications. I did theater um, in the theater program at Fordham. Um, but because I had to work through school, mm-hmm. that was really hard to – so I wasn't as involved as I could have been, I think. Um, you know, but I did a couple shows, and um, and again, it was cute, but it was kind of like I think that their peers, children who were my age, were getting jobs, were going to med school, were going to business school, mm-hmm. and I was in television. So when I got my full time job at NBC, um, they were very happy. Everybody was like, oh, "Phew, right? That's that's relatable." Right. Meeting all those famous people that I met and. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that story that got the Emmy nomination like that was all wonderful to hear that but when I left it was traumatizing to them mm. but because I said I was going to back to school that was like very respectable interesting so it's interesting because I also was a communications major went to state school um the first thing I did was a, the audition for a show and it was a Shakespeare show and I had no idea how to I didn't understand Shakespeare to, to begin with but um, I knew that that's what I was like, even though I was also a little afraid of being a theater major and nobody was telling me I couldn't, but somehow I had it in my head. Like you can't, I will be one of those starving artists, so I'm not going to do that, but I really like theater. So I'll get a degree in something that I can get a job in, but still I'll figure out how to do the acting mm-hmm. piece. And once I went through a year of that by my sophomore year, I was very sure. I was like, I hate communications. Yeah. This is not for yeah. me. I want to do theater. So I switched my major and then told my parents. Oh. oh. Uh, <laughs> um, but my dad said, because um, they were the same, they were very much like, they loved the arts, but they, both my parents chose to do something else because that was something that was more, um, more, I think, passionate for them. My dad being a math teacher, my mom being a librarian, all those things. But they loved the arts. They loved reading. They loved um, going to see plays. Um, and so I, I, I made the decision to ask, and I'm air quoting, ask my dad to change my major, even though I'd already done it. Uh-huh. Um, and he said, okay, uh, if you're going to do that, then you have to use it. And I, at the time I was like, of course I'm going to use it. But you know, it just like you, like you got a job, I got a job in an office. Um, so, so how did you get into television specifically as opposed to print or radio? Well, I think it's because of that, I mean, initially, I think it's that selfish need to, like, be an actor and be on camera, you know? I mean, not knowing about too much. Um, And I actually remember somebody asking me, there was a point in my major where I had to make a decision. Um, And I, I, I... thought about when I did Into the Woods and seeing my mom in the audience mm. like it was literally like there was like light coming off of her face I mean she was beaming mm-hmm. um, 
so I'm like, so they want to see me. <laughs> you know, there, there was like no intellectual reason. It was very, I was very, it was just, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I learned more about it, and that's when the information superhighway was like picking up speed, yep. right? <laughs> Do you remember your first email? Um, it, it yeah. It was when we were in college, yeah, right? Yeah, it was yeah. an AOL We're account. the same age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but the information, I did my uh, research paper on the information superhighway and how oh it was going to change the world. Change the world. Yeah. That's right. That um, was an electric email. Yes. What is an electric <laughs> mail? What? <laughs> Amazing. Um, but yeah, then I, I like, I, I mean, it's not easy to be in television news either. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember going for an internship program at WABC and it was like one of those cattle call auditions. There were so many people there, mm-hmm. um, and I got the internship, and um, I interned at WABC. You know, it was it was fun. Um, I interned there. I was in a news associate program at um, Fox News, um, like local Fox News. Fox News Channel was just starting up then. The twenty four hour news thing was new, and and in fact, it was only CNN that was successfully doing it at the time. And when I went to NBC. Um, MSNBC was like replaying a lot of the stuff because they were still learning how to fill 24 hours. Um, so the thing is to, <clears throat> to be on air, you have to leave New York. And I didn't want to leave New York, mm. um, for a long, with, with no, you know, and there, so there's that upbringing coming mm-hmm. out of me, right? Like there's that part of me that was the artist cause I was still performing. Like I went to college in the city. Um, so I did audition outside of. Fordham and um, I did when I was at when I was you know working in television whether I was interning or not I still auditioned I did get parts and things Um, and when I got to NBC and sort of was there for a while and was like moving up the ladder I had a great boss who um, I was my first job there was as an executive assistant to the one of the vice presidents of NBC News and he was great. He was a real newsman. He knew I didn't want to be a secretary forever. And so as I kind of got grounded there, he would give me like little assignments to do, um, working with MSNBC or Dateline. Um, so that was great. I learned so much. But what happened was as I got more responsibility, still being sort of a peon there, um, it became harder to commit to evening performances because they mm. started trusting me to fly me around the country. So um, I there, like there got to be a point where I was like I have to figure out what I want to do, and I just couldn't get away from the arts. Mm-hmm. And um, he was great actually. Um, his his name is David Corvo, and he I believe is still a producer for Dateline. Um, and he said, you know, you're young once, right? NBC will always be here. Like, mm-hmm. go do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So I looked at conservatory programs, and then there's that sh- cultural struggle again. Like mm-hmm. I I would go to these auditions and. So now I'm also slowly tired of, you know, the eight-hour cattle call auditions. You're getting up at 6 o'clock to stand online to audition mm-hmm. for 30 seconds, if that, like, if you're lucky. Nobody says my name right, right? So there, there's this cultural, like, do I need to change my name? Um, so I looked at conservatory programs, and I just wasn't comfortable. And I kind of felt old, too. Like, I just – I didn't feel like I belonged. Well, how old were you then at that point? Um, I must have been, like, 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that – It's so crazy. I'm, I'm listening to you. Yeah, I'm I know. It's so crazy how parallel our – Really? Our experiences were. Yeah, because when I was 25, 24, 25, I was at that point in Atlanta. I wasn't doing any art, but I – 
um, had wanted to go to a conservatory. And so I was really interested. I, I was so focused on Stella Adler for some reason. And I ended up working there as a receptionist and then as, as the administrative assistant to the president. And it was all happenstance. And the one thing that I was doing artistically was being the um, assistant director and an, a stage manager for a one act festival. Um, and my whole hope was because I couldn't actually afford to go to school there was to be able to like, if I worked there, I could take classes for free. Anyway, that's yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's interesting. Like I wasn't having the cultural struggle, but I was having a different kind of struggle. And, um, it's the same kind of struggle though, yeah. because it's that, I mean, I have it, I think to this day, right. It's that, that I was raised by my parents mm. and have a lot of respect for them, but that work ethic mm-hmm. and that you have to have a paycheck and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's that artist part of me that's like, but really, do we have to, like, can we yeah. just do this and try this and it's going to work it, out? But is it, but is it, is it, I mean, that's a cultural thing, but I think it, you know, it's a, it could be a class thing yeah. as well. Yeah, Cause maybe. like both my parents grew up, you know, super poor and their work ethic was out of this world. And, and, you know, then growing up as middle-class with parents who are, who don't are just coming into understanding what middle-class is that you have to have this work ethic. You have to have a job. You have to have health insurance. Like all that was definitely being drummed in. And here I was being like, (laughs) I'm going to be a hard time receptionist. I'm going to do this AD thing. Can you feed yourself, Courtney? Can you do, you know, yeah, 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 that'll that'll all come. It was, it's all gonna be fine. Like there was just a disconnect from yeah. my parents to how I was thinking. Yeah, but was you're that... you're a lot more optimistic, I think, than I was. Yeah. Like, cause you knew it was coming. I still had that in the back of my head. Like, are my parents right? Like, uh, you know, like yeah. at, like do I have to? Is it time to grow up at twenty five? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you, what schools were you looking at? Oh, uh, I mean, I don't even Tish. Mm-hmm. Um, all in New York, like conservatory programs in New York. And um, the other really challenging thing for me at these auditions is they always wanted a sh- like some sort of a sh- like a Shakespeare monologue or something. And I don't know about you, but being a woman of color and a woman, I was always cast as like the messenger in <laughs> Shakespeare. So I have an aversion to it mm-hmm. because I didn't get – I, I, you know, growing up, my, it's not something my parents wouldn't have spent money on sending me to acting class. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, kind of convinced myself I would learn as I rehearsed, but I couldn't because all I was doing was being a messenger. I was a male messenger in so many Shakespeare plays. That's I can't even ridiculous. tell you. Or the 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 narrator, the prologue reader, yeah. two households, mm-hmm. both alike in dignity, right? So, um, so that was a little intimidating because I, w- I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't at my best because I didn't have the training, right? right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was a challenge and I kind of went back and then I thought, okay, well, let me, let me, let me get a, let me go back to school then in communications. And um, my, another person that I reported to, he um, was the ombudsman for NBC News and he was actually teaching a communications class at Columbia. And he was like, you don't need to get this degree unless you're going to be teaching. Like, you need to go out there and be a reporter. So I was like, all right. (laughs) So I'm back to this. So do I leave New York? You know, do I start to get my reel together? New York One was hiring left and right. Then I could have very easily gotten it because it was so new. But this is going to sound a little babyish. They did not have a crew. And having worked for the network and, like, having had union crews, all of a sudden they're like, here, um, it just wasn't me. (laughs) 
So I was, they have crews now, don't they? They, I'm sure they do. Yeah, they're like 20 years old. They, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they do. But um, a colleague, a peer of mine that I worked with at Fox, she actually worked for them. Um, and I, re- when I heard like all her stories, I totally regretted it. But again, you know, I think, I think, I think you've long known me long enough to know this. Like when I commit to something, I make it happen. The challenge for me is making that commitment. I have commitment issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I make up my mind that I'm going, this is what I want and it's, um, it's the right thing. Like I know, I can feel it in my bones mm-hmm. and I make it happen. So... So yeah, so so none of these grad programs, I wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I knew it. I just was kind of like going through the motions. How do I become an actor, make my family happy, have a paycheck, and um, health insurance? Like without, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, was, that was the problem, right? So um, I then applied to the Gallatin School and, at NYU. Mm-hmm. I applied to Gallatin, and um, I went there to ask some questions about my application and the, the woman I was talking to was like are you sure you applied to us because that sounds like the educational theater program and I'm like what is that and then I went to talk to Lowell and um he was literally like I, I'm accepting you right now like <laughs> um so that's when I learned about our field mm-hmm. and I honestly didn't give like I didn't care because I was like, this is going to make mom and dad happy mm-hmm. and I can be an actor. Like this was the solution to all my That's problems. So yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I applied to the program and I got in and I remember that before I accepted, I went to talk to Lowell again and I was kind of like, I'm leaving my job at NBC. This is a like, you know, it's a good job. Um, what do you think I'm going to be able to make something of myself? I think is what I said for him. And he like kind of wasn't listening to me. And I don't know, Courtney, if you remember his office, but there mm. were like books everywhere. everywhere. There was like nowhere to sit. Yeah. Um, it felt very like, he felt like one of those professors you see in the movies that like read a lot and like, you know, kind of quiet and soft spoken. Mm. And he said, do you stage manage? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, we're looking for an assistant stage manager for my wife. And I think if you can do that, you'll be able to do anything. Lowell Swartzell started the graduate program in educational theater mm-hmm. at um, NYU. And um, his wife was also a professor there and I guess was part of that process. At, at Yale. They met at Yale. They met, they met at Yale. Yeah. In Yale drama. Yeah. And then um, and then together they, they moved to New York and they, they started the program, program yeah. together. In like, well, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary. 66, so. so. But I think they started petitioning and trying to make it happen uh-huh. earlier than that. But than it that, started yeah. in 1966. I left my job at NBC in February. Um, I took a, because again, there's this like rational part of me and this like need to be in a job where I have a paycheck. I took a job as a secretary to a hedge fund a guy that worked at a hedge fund. It was a small hedge fund firm. Is that what they're called? And um, it was eight to four. Um, and I took it. And I started stage managing for Nancy. Didn't know who she was. Didn't care. You know, I just thought she was kind of obnoxious. <laughs> um, and I was the um, assistant stage manager. So the, the you know, I guess thus far in my stage managing experiences, I was like trying to be part of the actors. Like I would warm up with them. I would, and I don't know, Nancy just kind of like, I felt like she had it out for me in the beginning. 
And um, I wasn't starting the program until September, so I had no idea who she was. Um, and boy, did I learn very quickly. We mm-hmm. had like shouting matches, Nancy and I. And then I started working there. Again, they hired me to um, work on the summer, the June Provincetown series. Mm-hmm. The, the new play reading series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember what my... I probably stage managed it. Um, and then I started to understand who Nancy was. <laughs> um, and then I started in September that year in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started, yeah, right, mm-hmm. right, right, like a week right, before 9 11. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to parallel my life with you. So um, while you were just learning what the educational theater department was, I knew about it actually after we graduated from college. And was I, I specifically was like, no, I need to be an actor. I need to learn theater first before I can start teaching somebody else. So that's where I was sort of on that path yeah. of like going to conservatories or taking yeah. acting classes. And I went to a private um, acting coach and that kind of thing. And then uh, when I was in Atlanta and I wasn't doing any theater, I'm feeling sort of like bereft, but I was working with kids um, and I didn't know how to bring my my theater experience and break it down to bring it to the kids. That's when I was like, Oh, Oh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to learn now. So I applied to, to the program that I didn't know about Gallatin. I only knew about the educational theater department. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, I moved back to New York about six months before, um, the program I applied to be a teaching arts for cat, Mm. hoping to be able to get my tuition, um, de- decrease and I didn't get it. And, um, in the meantime, I was working, um, at Chelsea Pierce. Um, and so I was the same thing where I needed a job. So I was just sort of hustling and I was like, Oh, okay. I, I I'm good with kids and I like, like sports and I like recreation. That's enjoyable. So Chelsea Pierce sounds like a great place and it was a fun place to work. And I was coordinating birthday parties that's fun. And it's like all the all the things that I do now, right? I was staffing them. I was dealing with catering. It was event management. It was creating a fun experience. Oh, yeah. So you were, yeah, same skills. <laughs> same skill yeah. sets. All like a lot of communication, yeah. Yeah. email, money exchange, transacting. Yeah. All of those things. Anyway, so when I started in that, I think we were in the same class. My first class was um, Carmen's class. Yeah, I was in that class. I think and, I was taking more than one class. To, um... Well, it was Tuesdays. I had one class before. I was with Lori Brooks for uh, um, theater for young audiences, I think, and then at Leaders in Educational Theater with Carmen. That was my first. Mm-hmm. Carmine. Mm-hmm. Not Carmen. Yeah, sorry. Carmine. Carmine. Yeah. Um, and that, I, that's where I saw you. And I was like, who is that? She's pretty. <laughs> and then also I was like, she always, you always had this look on your face. Like when you listen, yours were like, <laughs> I can't see my face, but it, I was always like, what? Is she confused? Like what's happening? Whatever. And then I would move on. Cause David was also in that class. Yeah, David was in that class. You were in that class. Um, yeah, that, that's when I started. Yeah. And I, I actually, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to teach. I didn't have any interest in it. I don't even think I liked kids. That's really interesting. Yeah. So why did you do this? Because I thought it would be something that would keep, like, the family happy. That's so You know, getting funny. a master's degree, right? Like, that's... Sure, but, like, I, I, I literally... I, I've known you for, what, like, 15 years now? And, like, I yeah. can't believe that the, I didn't understand yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but, I didn't I didn't, really, I didn't know enough about the field to know yeah. what I wanted to do, you know. And so what teachers, was it? Because, like, you are so well entrenched in this field. Like, you're very well known. Yeah. And 
So what was the, the turning point? Yeah. Yeah. 2011, um, 9-11, I mean. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was working for these assholes at the hedge fund company that made so much money. And I came from NBC where I met all these really well-known people. Like, I don't want to name drop, but I could spend a lot of time. You know, it was fun. Mm -hmm. And they were so nice. And these guys at the hedge fund, um, they weren't. And, like, I I think working there, like, the the life was so meaningless to me. Mm. I really, I felt sorry for them. And when, um, on September 11th, we were working, the office was in the Grace Building, um, which is um, right near Bryant Park. Yes. So we saw what happened. And, you know, I was on the phone with my father. He called me, and he's like, listen. And, I, and he, he said, do you have a window facing downtown? Go there. And I did. I went into our conference room, and he was like, um, I, he was trying to keep me calm. And he just basically said, everyone's going to panic around you. You need to not panic. You need to stay calm and get out of the city, like, however you can, because they're not going to let people – they're not going to, you know, trains are going to stop running. And like, as he said that the first tower fell and, um, they, these guys just left and it wasn't a big office. It, it, I mean, I think there were maybe eight, eight guys that worked there. Mm -hmm. So maybe like nine or 10 secretaries. Um, and these were women who were making careers of being secretaries. Like, you know, and then like two other people my age who were, you know, took this job because they want to go into the financial area somehow. They just left. Like they just left. And and people were pan like these were all women and we were all like they were panicking, you know. So no they didn't even say you can go home. They just left. Um and it didn't hit me then because <laughs> I was stage managing a show for Anne McCormick. And I went to a payphone, remember those? Mm-hmm. And I called Anne and I said, I think we should cancel rehearsal tonight. She's like, I think so. <laughs> I uh, So I was at Chelsea Piers. I had just crossed over the West Side Highway. Towers were intact. Um, and then all, everything was happening. And I had the same thing. I, I, I ended up calling NYU and saying, do you know what's happening right now? Our, our class is canceled because <laughs> I was like, I need to go home. Yeah. And, and I, at the time, was living in Long Island. Yeah. So I was like, I need to go home. Yeah. Period. The end. And so, of course, I went to Penn Station. I had evacuated. All the subways were shut down. So I walked to – I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going yeah. happening. Where is there no buildings? So I, I walked up 8th Avenue to Central Park, and they were evacuating Central Park. So then ended up walking over the, the 59th Street Bridge and basically walked to, like, Met Stadium <laughs> before the trains mm-hmm. went back up. But, like, that I, like for me, I was like, I just started school. I've just changed. Yeah. I'm just starting to change my life. And this is happening. What's going on? And I got completely disillusioned with where I was working, which wasn't a bad place, but there was a corporate vibe to it. And I... um I had the same thing. I, it wasn't that I felt sorry for anybody. I just was like, I don't belong here anymore. I And I had been, at that point, um, I was taking physical theater. Were you in physical theater? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were we in the same classes together? Yeah, we were. We were. I was in, <laughs> but I remember the next week we had, instead of class, we were all just sort of talking. and Yeah, yeah. We and, sat in a big right, circle and talked about it. Yeah. 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 And, and that, for, I think that for me was the turning point. It wasn't, it wasn't. Because what happened was I didn't come back into work until that until the following week, and I was paying, getting paid hourly, 
and there was like no sort of understanding about why you weren't you weren't here so you're not going to get paid so i got docked pay oh that's terrible it was, yeah it was really kind of crappy and so that was right, the that first sucks. thing uh-huh. and then the second thing was um you know i'm making birthday parties is great but like that's not what i'm meant to do sure and so then it was more about like what am i meant to to be doing with yeah. my life yeah. and even just within those two or three weeks um of being in the program my world was just like literally like doors were just opening up in ways that I didn't even know you know yeah. what I'm saying yeah 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 I mean it was very similar I mean it, but it I it didn't happen that quickly for me like, that's the mm. thing with me it takes me a long time <laughs> <laughs> but again once I make that commitment yeah. and I figure it out um but I just knew I just this wasn't for me but I was pretty sure I was going to make this switch. I just didn't know what that meant. Thank you for listening to episode three of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Shova Kavnakudil, Fierce Search, Act One. Join us next time for Act Two. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Ritz-Totten is the creative content manager. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. 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 Ooh.